and they get it in five seconds. Ratliff the steal. Here come the Sixers. They are down two. Iverson hits for three and the lead. Yes! Oh, man. Well, that was classic stuff from back in the day. Mark Zumoff, the voice of the Philadelphia 76ers for all those years. I was going to say currently enjoying retirement, but Mark is doing anything but uh, laying around uh, in the shade. Uh, he is leading an active life and is nice enough to join us now. We're going to be involved in a joint effort, actually, Ray, as well, this coming Tuesday. Zoo, how are you, my friend? Oh, Ray's going to be there now, and it's an event. Yeah. Now it's an event for sure if Ray's <laughs> going to be there. Correct. Uh, and we'll get it, we'll get to that in a few moments. But I just want to ask you um, now – it's kind of the first time you've watched the Sixers like on TV yourself, watched from the outside. Uh, of course, you were there during the building of this team and the, and the start of Joel Embiid's career. What's your take on what they've got right now, particularly after the trade they made on Thursday? I think they acquired a guy who is, I mean, I, I'm thinking maybe Jimmy Butler, aside from him, the best tag team partner to date for Joel Embiid. And like Jimmy Butler, I think Harden is a guy who you can certainly use in endgame situations to make decisions for you, to take a big shot, to make a big play, and takes a lot of the pressure off of Embiid. So I'm hopeful from that perspective that Harden is going to pay dividends. Of course, he's not the player he was when he was winning scoring titles with the Houston Rockets. And his numbers are down. I would discount that just given the state of flux that the Brooklyn Nets are currently in. But all in all, I think they got themselves a guy who is a high-quality player. Uh, his three-point percentage is down. You hope he picks up on that. But a guy who will rebound as a guard. He's an excellent, excellent passer. And I read a stat the other day, which is pretty remarkable. He's the all-time NBA leader, and I don't know how many he has, but the all-time NBA leader in 50-point triple doubles think about that wow. you know getting a triple double and also scoring 50 in a game now I still think the Sixers need a backup big I'm not sure that Paul Reed is that guy I would like to think so but I'm sure that the Sixers are going to be uh you know waiting to see who gets bought out maybe somebody from Europe or you know maybe uh the G League it seems like now with everything that's been happening with rosters there are a lot of veterans who are kind of uh, resurfacing it and going to the G League hoping to get noticed. And uh, you got to replace Seth Curry in some way, whether that's somebody picking up the slack, whether that's Harden suddenly rediscovering his touch, uh, we'll see. But uh, aside from that, I'm really thrilled by the acquisition of Harden, and I can't wait for his debut, which may very well come on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey, uh, Mark, what do you, th what do you think? I, I, and Glenn and I agree with you. I mean, I thought that it was – um, it was a great move on the part of Morey to you know to get to get a player in here that can give that can give Joel Embiid the opportunity to to maximize what is truly an MVP season here and make a real run at the championship, which I think they're certainly in position now to make a real run at the East at the very least. Um, but what did you think when you looked at the package that they gave up? What did you think of the price that they paid? I think we're all happy that Harden's here, but what did you think of the price they paid? It's a lot, um, and I'm not going to weigh in on Simmons because I don't think anybody can at this point. I don't know who he is or what he's about to become. And he wasn't doing anything for you, so you, you figure that as a wash. Two first-round picks, I don't know if those uh, picks are going to be anything great. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in the draft, and I think 
Daryl Morey uh, is experienced enough to know that I got to give up picks here, but I'll figure out a way to get a first round pick or two back later on. Um, Seth Curry wasn't playing that well lately, but we know as a body of work, he is a very good outside shooter and a guy who was uh, creating some nice things in tandem with Joel Embiid. Then you have a guy like Andre Drummond, who could probably still start for a number of teams, who was given the Sixers quality minutes. And uh, you have to acknowledge the fact that Embiid, whether through uh, rest or otherwise, is you know going to be missing some games and he gave the Sixers high-quality minutes. I know we were saying last year, Dwight Howard, the best backup in Beads ever had. Maybe Drummond trumped that. And so uh, you have to give up to get. Um, I know, uh, as I think about my history with the NBA, oftentimes when you are acquiring an all-star, uh, the team that trades him rarely gets full value back. So if you think about it that way, you think about Charles Barkley going – to Phoenix and the Sixers getting a bunch of players. But, you know, Barkley went on to have an MVP season. You think about uh, trading Moses Malone, but the Sixers were never the same mm, since. No. Um, I, I often think that when you trade an all-star, it, you're hard-pressed to uh, to get full value unless you get an all-star in return. Mark Zumoff is our guest. Mark is going to be hosting a, a Sixer Celtics watch party this Tuesday night at uh, Puddler's Kitchen and Tap in Bridgeport for a great charity. We'll get to that in a couple minutes. You got to watch Joel Embiid from the beginning. I mean, you got to watch him sit out during those early years. You you saw every game, you reported, you called all those games. What he is now, this player in full, is this what uh, you and, and apparently your dog back there uh, expected? Uh, is this did, – did you – I know it's a silly question. Did you think he was going to be this good? That's a really good question question, Glenn. I'm just trying to recall what I thought. And really, as I watched Joel, I was really in the moment, hoping, of course, that he would become a really good player. But there were so many wild cards, not the least of which was his general lack of experience relative to a lot of other guys who, you know, play AAU ball when he was doing who knows what volleyball or or something else while growing up in Cameroon. And so uh, you, you draft a guy like that based on pure speculation. And Sam Hickey was saying to himself, okay, here's a guy who showed some promise as a freshman at Kansas. I know that he had some injury issues. And, of course, we had to wait two years before he recovered from his uh, foot problems. But um, I, I don't think anybody could have forecast the kind of dominance that Embiid is currently showing and the kind of IQ now that he has developed. He's become a, a really good passer. He seems to understand game situations. And these all things these are all things that you hope that a player can acquire as he goes, but you know, you're never quite sure. I always say to myself, uh, you might have that top pick of the draft, but it's still a crapshoot. There's always a fun game of, hey, let's have the two thousand fourteen draft all over again. And invariably the picks are a lot different. So um no, I, I, I would be disingenuous to say that I, I did. I, I should not say that I thought Joel B was going to become the kind of player that he's become. And quite frankly, I'm not sure that anybody really did. You know, when you look at the at the East right now, Mark. I mean, it's it really it really does look like a very wide wide open kind of thing. You've got the Sixers, you've got Miami's got their. You know, Miami has been very good. You got Chicago, Cleveland. We saw last night, Milwaukee. They're all you got five or six teams all within like two or three games of each other. Um, 
as you look at the at the landscape of this team moving forward now with some of the moves that have been made and teams having been having moved some players around and now they're kind of being reconstituted for the stretch run how do you how would you handicap the east right now and where do the sixers fall in your estimation my experience has always been that uh veterans and the more seasoned players will typically win out so you look at cleveland they've had a remarkable season but who do they have who's going to take charge in the guts of the game or, you know, perform well for them in the playoffs? Uh, I, 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 frankly, I just can't see them going to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think Chicago is in a somewhat similar boat, though DeMar DeRozan is playing like an MVP, and he's a guy who's got experience, so you can't discount that. And, of course, Miami, uh, if you consider uh, the Jimmy Butler core that they currently have, they have finals experience, so... Uh, they're they're going to be very, very difficult. Um, I would like to think that um, James Harden, who has gotten to a couple of conference finals, I know he has been criticized for not getting his team to the NBA finals, but uh, that's farther than the Sixers have been in many years. So uh, I think the Sixers, I think the mission is to get to the NBA finals. I think there would be a lot of happy people if they got to the conference finals, but I would like to think that with the way Embiid is playing, and Harden's experience that they would have an opportunity to get all the way to the NBA Finals, and then you know, you're going to you're going to face a really good team, whether it's Phoenix or Golden State or I don't know if Memphis. If you know, again, they have young players if they can get out of the West, but that's typically right. Been my experience is that uh, it takes several years and several years of being knocked out of the playoffs before you can finally find your way to a conference or an NBA Final. Mark Zumoff is our guest. Mark was the outstanding play-by-play voice of the Philadelphia 76ers on TV for more than a quarter of a century. Uh, Kate Scott, ably filling that role right now as rookie. And I made the mistake when I talked to you last week. I kind of said, how are you enjoying retirement? And you're doing any, you are anything but retired. For people who don't know Mark, what are you up to these days? I am teaching at Temple. I'm also the associate director of the Claire Smith Center for Sports Media, and that is meant to uh, raise the profile of not only um, our place, Temple's place in sports media, but also emphasizing diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, and also being a thought leader in the industry. And I'm also teaching a play-by-play course, which I'm getting ready for. That'll be tomorrow night. And I'm also doing some work on behalf of Maccabi USA, which is, uh, in essence, um, an opportunity for Jews from around the world to gather every four years in Israel and compete in Olympic-style events. It's billed as the second largest sporting event in the world next to the Olympics. It's uh, over 10,000 athletes from 80 different countries who, who come in around the world. And what I'm doing is I'm taking a group of young, aspiring sports media professionals over to cover the games, whether we're streaming live events or doing features on people or, or or print reporting or social media. And I'm really excited for that. And that's, that's taken up a lot of my time. And then thank to you, Glenn, uh, and Contra Hawk and Brewing, we had the idea for uh, a beer for charity. And all I did was go to you and say, I like IPA. <laughs> and you guys took the ball and ran, you know, 150 yards with it. You came up with great branding, a great label. And above all, a great recipe. It's an awesome brew, and it drinks easy. And uh, you and I were sipping it at 11 o'clock in the morning the other day, and 
Um, I, we were. I'm sorry I had to leave. That's the only thing I could say. <laughs> That's, <all right. laughs> That's okay. Well, let, let's talk about that because, yeah, you, you came to me and you came to us, Conchock and Brewing, and you, and you said, I want to work with Philadelphia Youth Basketball. And so let's talk about that. Uh, let's talk about that organization and your commitment to them. So it pretty much is what uh, it says in the title, Philadelphia Youth Basketball. So the organization takes basketball and it leverages the game in order to uh, attract young people. Um, these are the, these are young kids who, for one reason or another, are uh, without proper education. They're out without proper health care. Their uh, their their lives are in many ways unfulfilled. Not like the kind of lives that that well I had growing up in Northeast Philly. I, wasn't a rich kid, but I, I had at least a, a stable family. I had food on the table. Uh, I, I was given a philosophy about education. And, and these are kids who desperately need that. And that's what this organization provides. Uh, one of the centerpieces of the organization is they are building something called the Allen Horowitz Six Man Center. It's located in Nicetown. They've taken over an old casino furniture factory, and it's a Twenty-some million-dollar project. They're going to totally revamp it. At the end, it's going to have gyms. It's going to have wellness centers. It's going to provide proper nutrition. It's going to provide uh, financial education, and above all, a safe haven for kids to come and feel community, to feel support. And in many places, or in many instances, these are kids of color, and there will be uh, mentors of color, people who can identify with them in their circumstances. Who can help them and hopefully uh, eventually thanks to pyb lead productive lives okay and so um with your great dedication to that as as you said you came you came to me you came to us at the brewery and said can we do a beer for charity and it took us about a second and a half to decide collaborating with mark zumoff was a good idea uh we took your yes ipa i'm with you idea and we made a very crushable 5.2 percent and ray the name of it is and it is zooisms. Zooisms, and the can has, I think, a stunningly accurate caricature of Mark Zumoff, as well as his sayings, his zooisms, all around the can. So as you enjoy your 16 ounces, you can read, oh, look at that, timely deuce, spinning garbage into gold. Yes, all of those great things. Uh, and Tuesday night, um, you are going to be hosting a Sixers-Celtics viewing party, uh, which is uh, I'm kind of calling Hoist a Brew with Zoo at our place, uh, Puddler's Kitchen and Tap, 3 DeKalb Street in Bridgeport, 6.30 to 9.30. Uh, Ray is going to be there, as well as Mike Sielski, signing and selling copies of their great books. Uh, Fran Dunphy, I think I told you this, is going to come by and join us, Mark. That's awesome. Uh, that's yeah. a great guest list right there, and um, I have some invitations out as well, so I don't want to commit for people until I hear from them, but I already think it's an awesome lineup. Uh, and uh, as you mentioned, 20% of food and drink sales going yep. directly to PYB, which I'm, I'm really excited about. Um, uh, I'll be there to take pictures and schmooze and drink and watch the Sixers take on the hated Celtics. And um, again, from 630 to 930, it's, uh, it's going to be an awesome, awesome experience. I'm really excited for it. And I want to thank you and, and Conchock and Brewer brewery for stepping up and doing all this you guys have been amazing uh, it's it's a great partnership and we have uh, a handful of auction items including a night drinking beers with you and i which uh, i think could be fun and go out to lunch how's this 
Phil Martelli, I reached call Phil Martelli the other day and said, listen, I spoke to Fran Dunphy. Fran says he'll go to lunch with some people. Would you join him? And Phil says, yes. Thank you for calling me. I appreciate being invited. So when Phil comes back from Michigan in the summer, lunch with Phil Martelli and um, Fran Dunphy. That's a pretty good prize. Um, yeah, and I think all you need to know about those two guys uh, and talking about your conversation with, with Phil, the fact that he's thanking you for giving him yeah, the opportunity to give up his time is uh, just makes him a mensch. Yeah, people are good people, <laughs> and you're at the top of the list. And so Tuesday night... Uh, we'll see you there along with Ray and, and Mark. It's a pleasure to catch up with you, and uh, we'll cheer on the Celtics and drink an IPA Tuesday night. Oh, cheer on who? Oh, God, what did I just say? Cheer on the Sixers <laughs> versus the Celtics. Correct, Oof. yeah. God almighty, never, uh, never, never. I just have one question. Yeah. Uh, Ray, who's your Super Bowl pick? I'm taking the Rams. Got it. Taking the Rams. I just think their defense is too good. Okay, well, well there you go. might have to take that to the bank. I wouldn't if I were you. <laughs> Take it under advisement, if anything. Mark, thank, thank you a ton. Thank we'll you see you Tuesday night. Appreciate you. Take care. All right, thank Thanks, you Mark. very much. Did I say cheer on the Celtics? What yes, the you did. I just was trying. You know what it was? In my mind, I was thinking, who are they playing the Celtics? I would never. Ray, you know that. I would never do that. Yeah, that's uh, play back the tape. That's what you said. We'll be there. Yeah, we'll, no, let's we'll, erase we'll that. cheer Moshe, on the Celtics. Moshe, uh, do me a favor. Get that out of there. That, that never happened. I, I don't know about that. I hate the Celtics. Uh, anyway, that is going to be a lot of fun. And, Ray, I, I appreciate that you are going to be part of it. Guys like you and, and Mike Sielski and Phil Martelli and Fran Dunphy and just people who, who step up and say, sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm there. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I want to help. And, you know, that. Uh, Terrific cause. I mean, the you know the last time was to, you know to raise money for the for the for your old friend who was in a bicycle accident, and you know and now you know Mark's cause of uh, of trying to use basketball to help to to reach out to kids in the city. I mean, who doesn't want to get behind programs like that? Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Anyway, Tuesday night, six thirty to nine thirty, Puddler's Kitchen is half three to Calp Street, Bridgeport, right across the bridge. Go home with some Kansas zooisms, and yes, to raise money for a great cause. 215-592-9494. We've uh, pretty much cleared out the line, so if you call now, we will get you in the next segment. Ray is going to break down uh, we're going to do Rams offense versus Cincy defense, right? Yep. We'll do that as well. If you want to talk about the Sixers, you want to talk about football, whatever's on your mind. At noon, we're going to check in with Jeff McClain of the Philadelphia Inquirer. 215-592-9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. Play clock down to one. They get the snap off, fake to Woods, Stafford throws, it is caught, it is a touchdown! Cooper Cup, tight roping the sideline. Well, that was all season. I mean, that's that's that was pretty much the Rams in a nutshell, and that is what they bring into the Super Bowl today, Ray. So let's break down the Rams offense versus the Cincy defense. By the way, there is a good debate as to whether a wide receiver can be the MVP. Which, as far as I know, Don Hudson was the last one back in 1910. Uh, I, I don't remember in my mind a wide receiver being the MVP of the, of the league. Um, I'm catching you off guard on that, but I, I don't. Um, maybe it's happened. Um, I mean, Jerry, Ra- be- Jerry Rice may have. Okay. I mean, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Rice had that one year he scored 22 touchdowns. Yeah, he, he would deserve it. Cooper Cup? Um. No, I think it's going to go to a quarterback as it usually does. But I mean, if you look at if you look at what Cooper Cup did uh, this year, I mean he uh, he won the receiving triple crown, which is pretty rare. I mean, to lead the league in rece- in receptions, in yards, and in touchdowns. 
Uh, he led in all three categories. Very rare. You don't often see that. Uh, but he did it this year and put up numbers that were just, you know, flat out ridiculous. And he's continued on in the postseason. The funny thing was, you know, a lot of people saw the numbers he put up in the regular season, 145. 100, listen, Les Glenn, 145 catches, 1,947 yards, and 16 touchdowns. And a lot of the thinking was, well, that was the regular season. When they get into the playoffs and teams start, uh, they're going to they're gonna put the defense, they're going to stack the defense to his side, and he's not going to be able to keep it up. Oh, really? In the, in the playoffs so far, 25 catches, 386 yards, and four touchdowns. So the simple fact of the matter is nobody, nobody has stopped this guy. In fact, nobody's even really been able to slow him down. And in just the first year of working together, uh, he and Matt Stafford have developed an, inc- an incredible level of trust and, uh, and timing that's made it very, very hard for teams to stop them. And when teams have tried to stop them and when they've tried to overload, which you kind of have to do, um, you know, what you've seen with Odell Beckham Jr., the addition of Odell Beckham Jr. on the other side, if you give them one-on-one coverage, um, he's really come on. I mean, he has really come on. And the more he has worked into that offense and the more he's worked with Matt Stafford, uh, the better the better they've become. And in the postseason, I saw a really interesting stat this week that in the regular season, uh, in terms of targets to receptions uh, with Odell Beckham Jr., when he joined the team kind of at midseason, uh, in, in that phase of it, 56% of balls thrown his way turned into receptions. In the postseason, now that they've had more time to work together, that figure has jumped up to 83% of targets turned into completion. So what that tells you is that he's getting more opportunities because defenses are spending more time on Cooper Cup. And the more he's worked with Matthew Stafford, the better their timing is. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if Odell Beckham Jr. has a really big game tonight. Interesting. I like that. It's a nice little pick, Ray. Uh, Mike in Maple Shade joins us. Mike, you're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, guys. How are you? Very well. Um, I'm sure hoping that uh, James Harden rings that bell on Tuesday night. I think they were saving that. They probably could have done that last night, but uh, that's just going to be totally awesome for him, for him to start out in a game with the Celtics uh, to do, you know, for that. Uh, so that's what I'm, that's A, what I'm hoping for. I think that um, sounds phenomenal. That's yes. a great thought. <laughs> I don't really have a question. I just have a comment, and I'm going to hang up and listen to you guys. Um, I didn't really think the um, Sixers were going to be able to pull off the trade. I kind of felt as though that maybe they'd have to scrap around in free agency and get hard in that way. Um, but when it came down, uh, here's what I envisioned. Um, the four teams that Philadelphia has, um, you know, the last two minutes of a football game, do we have people with the killer instinct to win the game or come from behind to win the game or solidify a lead? Uh, the Flyers, last couple minutes, do they have the people that can actually hold that lead? The Phillies, you know, do they have... Do they have the bullpen? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's but, the easiest question. Yeah. But I can tell you, the talent is one thing. The will to win is something else. I saw something in Embiid last night. I think he just knows that it's his time. He's raising his game in expectation of what's uh, ahead of him. And I'm sure hope, hoping James Harden comes with that... Uh, He's going to come with the talent, but that will to win, that push. Well, here's what I envision. The two, the, in the last two minutes of the game, the game between the give-and-go between Embiid and Harden. But guess what? If they fall back and they try to cover and maybe double-team both of them, kick it out to Maxi or Tobias and have them hit it from there. So a lot of good things on the horizon. Uh, I'm just hoping that it comes to fruition because I think uh, this could really, really, really be a good thing. 
You know, you mentioned some, and thanks for the call, Ray, that we haven't discussed at all, uh, which is I think this could really help Tobias Harris because mm-hmm. it moves him down a notch in terms of his responsibility, right? He doesn't have to be the alternative the alternative to Embiid. He's the third guy now. He's, yeah, he becomes a third option. And I think he's much more suited for that. Yeah, I agree. I think he's one of those guys that's better in that role. Uh, and uh, I was thinking of very much, very much the same thing because he's certainly a skilled player. Uh, and I, I think in this offense, it's going to, again, a lot of this is going to come back to Doc Rivers and how he's, going to, how he's going to draw up this offense and how he's going to space the floor and who's going to handle the ball and all of those kinds of things. I mean, Doc really has to work, he has to work that out. I mean, he's got the players here. I mean, he really does have the players here to win the East, certainly. Well, you're mentioning this every 20 minutes or so. You're, you're, if Doc Rivers is listening to today, he's thinking, like, what is, what is Ray putting his target on? I, I don't mean to, but I don't, know, I don't know any other way to look at this. I mean, you know, Morey has done his job. I mean, he's made this trade that um, I, I wasn't sure that he could pull off. I, I, you remember there, there, there was a lot of talk about maybe it would have to turn into an off-season sign-in trade or maybe yep. it was going to have to be a trade that was going to involve three teams and a yeah. lot of and a lot of moving parts sure. and the fact that he was a, I, it helped that the Brooklyn team just basically fell apart and Harden forced his way out i mean the timing of it worked out to his advantage that happened right at the deadline but still i mean he got the he got the player he wanted now he has the team that he wanted and now it's really up to doc to make it work and you don't have a whole lot of time to put all these pieces together you've got outstanding players and you've got guys that have played in big games before but never together and that doesn't happen overnight regardless of how good the talent is they have to learn how to share the ball and uh, you know and play defense and and make the most and maximize the talent that they have on hand and you know ultimately I mean I, I don't mean to I don't mean to put the finger squarely on Doc Rivers but the I get, he's the guy that's going to have to make this thing work he's the guy that's going to have to push the right buttons here yeah he's the guy if they fall apart who's not back next year yes because the others are all going to be back Mike in Marlton checks in. Let's talk Super Bowl and the Sixers. Go ahead, Mike. Whatever order you want. Um, I'm going to flip the script. Uh, I'm going to start with the Sixers first. Uh, I didn't really plan on saying this, but Ben Simmons, you are a sorry excuse for a man. Uh, I really hope that your career doesn't amount to anything. On uh, behalf of everyone that suffers with mental health, you did a great disservice uh, with the way you handled things and the fact that people even – like to think that you have anything to do with mental uh, health just makes me sick to my stomach. Uh, and that's that. Rich Paul. Well, hold on, because I, I do want to address that, because I think it's an important point. Um, of Ben Simmons' sins, and there are many, the way he came up with the mental health excuse only after he learned that he may not get, he wouldn't get paid, and this would give him a loophole to try to get paid in the CBA. And I agree with your point. Is the most damaging because everybody who has legitimate mental health issues now has just been kind of mocked by Ben Simmons. And but, Mike, I, I think it's, it's a fair point. My kicker to add on to that is that uh, after the, the trade, it was, I was watching ESPN, and they're saying, oh, but he took all these fines. It is about mental health. Let me tell you this. When I was suffering and I was at my worst, it was debilitating. I couldn't go to the, like, the bathroom. I couldn't shower. It was all this stuff. For him to even put his foot in that pond is disgusting. Uh, I, I just really think it's something that people will try and talk about, and they don't have the depth or knowledge. So they'll, they'll put his name into the conversation thinking maybe it's a possibility, but from someone who suffers from it, 
it, it, it's absolute garbage. Uh, and I wanted to say the other Sixers point, uh, I really want to get Ennis Freedom in the buyout market. He would be so complimentary to Abid. He, we definitely need another big. I was at the uh, OKC game. Embiid had no help on the rebound. He had 19 rebounds. Yeah, I know. And He's he alone. was just exhausted. Um, and then when it comes to the Super Bowl, um, I just wanted to say that I think better offense is going to be better defense. And I say that, uh, like, doing a 180 because I always thought better defense was better. Uh, but what it comes down to is I think Joe Burrows is going to play out of his mind and that he's really going to flourish with Jamar Chase and that offense is very explosive. Uh, and hey. while the defense – I, I got to run, but your call was a great one. I appreciate it. And I'm, I mean, you gave your prediction. Zumoff got the prediction out of you right before I wanted you to do it, but whatever. He asked, you answered. Right. Um, the old axiom that uh, defense, good defense beats good offense. Just go back to Super Bowl 52. Yep. Tom Brady threw through what, 940 yards? 505. Yeah, exactly. And then look, <laughs> <laughs> and then who won that game? Uh, I think the Philadelphia Eagles won that game. 41-33. to 33. I still yep. see those bumper stickers all the time. I saw one just the other day. Yeah, I have one. Uh, I I saw somebody post this. I, I would give credit, but I don't remember, who, who just posted recently. I think it was the anniversary, right? February 4th, said, I wonder how many people in the Philadelphia area use 4133 as their PIN number. Oh, that's good. Yeah, right? Yeah, I do not. In case anybody's wondering, but, but I bet you a lot of people do. Easy to remember. I'm sure they do. I'm uh, sure they do. Mike in Arizona wants to talk about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What are you thinking, Mike? Hey, uh, first I hadn't had the chance to talk to two of you this year. I just want to thank you both for bringing it every week through snowstorms, uh, not just through the sh- for your show, but uh, what you do for the community with your fundraisers. And Glenn, I know you've been dealing with back issues and. It's very admirable, so I, I appreciate, appreciate all. that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my, my question on the Hall of Fame, I, I, I really appreciated the interview with Dick Vermeil yesterday. Uh, I know he has no problem expressing himself, but, Ray, you seem to take it to another level when you talk to him, which is always appreciated. Uh, my, my question is, I always thought Bill Berge, um, on that, who was with Dick Vermeil from day one, and his last game was that Super Bowl, right. you know, the apex of – Dick Vermeil in Philadelphia. I always thought he was um, isn't getting enough love as far as Hall of Fame attention. Um, I remember as a kid, he was seemed to be the, the best linebacker in the league, even on that, that horrible team through the year. So I uh, just wanted to get your thoughts and see if you thought that there was any chance he may get some attention. Yeah, I think he should. Uh, I've said that before. Um, I think he's one of those guys. That there, there, are several, there are several former Eagles that I think have been really overlooked. Uh, in the Hall of Fame voting. Uh, I think Bill is one. I think Eric Allen is one. Um, I think Seth Joyner is one. Um, I think Maxie Bond from the team of the 60s probably belongs in. If you look at the number of Pro Bowls, I mean, my God, he went to the Pro Bowl practically every year that he played. Uh, and if you want to go all the way back to the 40s, I think Al Wistert, who was the captain of the two, two-time two world champion team, um, they've inducted guys from that team into the Hall of Fame, Van Buren, Pihos, Benaric, uh, but I think Wistert belongs in there. But sadly, those guys have been passed over, and I hope, you know, we've seen now a little bit of a resurgence. You know, Brian Dawkins got in. You know, Harold Carmichael gets in. Now Dick Vermeil gets in. Um, you know, maybe we're, maybe, we're moving into a, maybe we're moving into a stretch where some of the Eagles will start getting their call. And I, 
I definitely think that those guys belong, and I think Bill certainly belongs. I've, I've said this before, and I, I, and I think it bears repeating, that whenever, when I was a Hall of Fame voter, I've, I used to look at guys who were in the Hall of Fame uh, as a standard. Okay, if this guy's in, should this guy be in? Uh, and to me, it's a very easy call. Harry Carson, who was the inside linebacker, and a very, very good player for the New York Giants in the, in the same years that Bill Berge played. They were playing in the NFC East at the same time. They were contemporaries. And I saw a lot of Harry Carson. And Harry Carson was a very, very good player. But if Harry Carson's in the Hall of Fame, and I have no problem with him being there, if Harry Carson's in the Hall of Fame, then Bill Berge should be too. Because between, I saw them both play, and there's no doubt in my mind that Bill Berge was better. I mean, Harry Carson was really good, but Bill Berge was better. And if Harry Carson's in Canton, then Bill should be there as well. So, listen, last year Harold Carmichael got in, and we were delighted. And it it happened after, you know, he had kind of disappeared from visibility and then was resurrected and deservedly got in. Uh, Same thing with Dick Vermeil this year. So, and you mentioned a lot of names, and I I can't argue any of them. To me, it it starts with Eric Allen. He was one of the greatest players I saw wear an Eagles uniform since I moved to town in 1987. I, I just don't get the lack of traction with him. But how does somebody get back in? How does Harold Carmichael back, get back into the conversation and then get in after all those years? Well, if you remember last year, there was there was a push to expand and, and do more seniors guys. Um, I forget what they called the commemorative class or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and there were, there were a whole bunch of guys that had always kind of been on the cusp. They had kind of been just on the fringes of the discussion. And uh, they just decided that last year we were going to try and have a dual induction of the modern era and the past era. Uh, and it opened the door a little wider for some of those guys, and that gave Harold his opportunity. And you know, some people, uh, some people locally got behind the effort. You know, uh, our good friend Jim Solano got behind it in a big way. Sal Palantonio got behind it in a big way. Yeah. Carl Peterson yeah. got behind it in a big yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those people of influence. And you know, and they, you know, and they asked me, you know, would, would I get involved? And I said, absolutely, sure, because I think Harold. There's no question Harold belonged in. So we all kind of mobilized and got, you know, got a support and sent our letters and made some phone calls. And next thing you know, you know, Harold Carmichael, all of a sudden he resurfaces after all of these years and gets into Canton as, as it should have be. So, you know, maybe that's kind of what we need here. I mean, that's, you know, I think the thing that hurt with Dick Vermeil for a long time, and I argued against this all the time, was people said, well, look at his career record. You know, his career record in terms of wins and losses just is just barely over 500. Uh, and people said, that's not, yeah, well, that's not Hall of Fame standard. And I, yeah. and I argued strenuously, but look at what he inherited. Yeah, you take over bad teams, it takes a year or two to build it. Sure. I mean, you look at what he inherited in Philadelphia, which was a, which was a disastrous situation. I mean, people thought it was hopeless. I mean, not only do you have a bad team, but you have a bad team with no draft picks and no future. And he turned that team around. He took took them to the, took them to the playoffs four straight years and took them to a Super Bowl. Then he goes to the he sits out for fourteen years, and then comes back and takes over a Rams team that had lost more games over the previous decade than any team in football. He took over the the Rams when the Rams were the worst team in football. Yep. And in three years, he's he's not only in the Super Bowl, but he's winning the Super Bowl. So all those years it took him to build those teams up to where they were competitive. You know, those, yeah, those count on his record. And so his one-loss record overall is not going to be that great. But look at his record from the time when he basically, what you would say, had his team in place yeah. and moved forward from that, and his winning percentage goes up to about 80%. 
So, yeah, I mean, so. you just you just have to view all of this stuff in context. Finally, we were able to get people to be open their eyes to that. And then once they did, then it became a very easy matter of putting Dick in the Hall of Fame. 215-592-9494. I hope there is somebody out there who's, you know, on the board, has the influence, who kind of looks at Eric Allen's career and says, you know what, let's get this going. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now. Coming up, we talk about... <laughs> The worst news Ray Dittinger sports fan received all week. And I love it. Ray and Glenn on 94 WIP. 215-592-9494. Ray Dittinger, Glenn Mack. Now, Ray, the snow is falling in Havertown right now. Yeah, it's uh, falling here at uh, Center City, too. I'm looking looking across to what used to be the old post office. And uh, um, lots of snowflakes between, between here and there. Picking up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Ray, on a February day when the snow is coming down, you know where my thought turns? Uh, let me guess. Baseball spring training. Exactly correct. Well, uh, I don't think there's going to be spring training, but that's okay. You can I think don't about know that. Either. No, I think you're right. I just, yeah, you know, you get the reports every day like, well, they submitted a new uh, proposal, which was rejected in five minutes, and nobody's moving anywhere. And the, the, the sport has so many problems that they are not addressing because. They can't even sit in the same room for more than a minute and a half. But there is one change that has been agreed on. And, Ray, I know you're resigned. When when, when baseball agreed to uh, embrace the designated hitter, I know that you kind of shrugged and you resigned to it. Mm-hmm. But I want, I want to try to turn you around so that you appreciate it and embrace it. All right? Uh, okay. So here's the thing. I know that in your mind, you grew up and you've spent your whole life watching pitchers hit, and you remember when you were a little kid, whatever, Robin Roberts probably hit 260, and Steve Carlton could occasionally rake one, and I don't know, Robert Person once hit two home runs in a game and all of that, right? Yeah, Warren Spahn was an outstanding hitter. Right, Warren Spahn. Yes, indeed. By the way, Warren Spahn's birthday, Ray? Uh, I have no idea. April 23rd. Come on now. You oh, yeah? That. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but here's the thing. The decline of pitchers being able to hit has been steady and has been disgraceful. And last year, Major League pitchers batted 109 with an OPS, OPS, which is combines on-base percentage and slugging percentage, of 271. Mm -hmm. They struck out 78% of the time. Um, they were less than 50-50 on getting down sacrifice bunts. They just can't do it. It's not something that will ever come back because, I mean, as you know, from what? From college, from high school, whatever. If you're a kid who can pitches, you stop hitting. And you don't do it. And you don't do it in college, and you don't do it in the minors, and you pretty much don't do it anywhere. So that asking these guys, elite athletes though they may be, to suddenly step into a batter's box against, by the way, pitchers are now throwing harder than ever. Last year, average fastball velocity was over 92 miles an hour. So they're, they're having no training since they were in Little League and being expected to in any way hit a fastball is just an impossibility. And so on that basis, Ray, I'm, I'm hoping that you appreciate that what you have now is actually something that will bring more strategy to the game. 
that will enhance the game, that will take out one guy who's completely inept every nine hitters and add somebody who maybe can hit with power, maybe can get on base and steal, although they don't do that anymore either, but theoretically. Maybe he can sacrifice bunt. Maybe he can, you know, hit and run. Maybe he's a line drive hitter. You get somebody who has talent replacing somebody who doesn't, and therefore this is good. Ray, give me an amen. Well, no. I mean, we were, for one thing, you're talking about a couple of things that, that, that they don't do anymore. They don't hit and run anymore. They don't steal bases anymore. They don't bunt anymore. I mean, that's those things are... Then, then those things have left baseball. And well, they try to bunt with pitchers. They're, going, they're yeah. going forever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but he can hit. He can do. He can. He has talent. He's not an embarrassment to the lineup. He can do something. Yeah, but there's there is no strategy with a designated hitter. I see. I I don't know about that. He's just he's just a. There's no strategy with a pitcher. Here's here's what I think you have when a pitcher comes to the plate. Okay. Maybe he's going to try to sacrifice bunt. Again, they, they were unable to do it 50% of the time, and maybe the manager makes a substitution. And to me, that ain't the pinnacle of the sport. I'd rather have a guy who get up there who can do something, is legitimate in the batter's box. Yeah. All right. That's it. I, I tried. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I know that... In this town, I'm probably in the, in the minority. It's it's funny. Oh no, um, I think no. I, I on the contrary, I think I think most people feel the way you feel. I think in I Philadelphia. Think I, no, I, yes, yes. I think I I think I am in the distinct minority. Not I think I think by the responses I got on social media. But oh okay. no, oh no. But for for one thing, I think most people think the way you think that uh, you know it's it's time to turn the page. That was that was. That was baseball as it used to be. This is baseball as it is right now. Uh, right. And, and people are going towards the DH. People want more offense. Uh, and the other part of it is, it, especially in this town, people look at how, how this affects the Phillies. And the Phillies are a team that could definitely profit by it. All right. You know, well, that's short term. Because, and, of, because and you of mentioned roster, this yesterday. Because of the roster so. you have. I mean, it, it, makes, it makes perfect sense for the Phillies to have a DH because that way either Hoskins or, or Bohm can – you, you get them off the field and just you know let them take four at bats a game. You don't have to give them a glove and ask them to field their position, which they can't do. Yeah, well, I, I'm looking more in terms of the grand scheme of the game. But do I do, I agree with you that short term actually that will that will give them some benefit and it will impact a lot of guys and a lot of teams and and what you're going to do. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, in my mind, the American League added the DH. What is it? Seventy two. Do you remember the exact year? Oh, it's it's ages ago. Yeah, right. And you never hear people in the American League say they should bring back pitchers batting. I don't think anybody's ever missed it once it's gone away. And I think this is going to be the same thing. Um, again, there's just you know Bartolo Colon hit a, a home run ten years ago, and people remember that. And you know in the in the oh wait World Series, um, uh, what's his name? Who was the fat pitcher they had in the playoffs? Uh, the fifth starter. Oh, Joe Blanton. Blanton, thank you. Joe Blanton connected with one, mm-hmm. uh, and that happens like once every fifteen years. They still have the uh, they still have the picture up in the concourse at uh, yeah. Citizens yeah. Bank Park. I, right. I, I walk past it every time I'm trying to get to our broadcast location. Right. So you know, once every fifteen years or so, that happens, but not enough. And I'm I'm happy about it. And I guess the good news on this, Ray, is over the years, you and I have had this debate countless times, and I guess. This is the last time we'll have this debate. Uh, probably so. Probably so. I mean, I, I just, 
it just bothers me the way baseball has just surrendered to it and just shrugged their shoulders. Ah, they can't do it. They can't hit. They can't bunt. They can't. They just can't. Uh, what are we going to ask him to do it? I mean, you know, why don't you why don't you take these guys and teach them how to do it? Why well, because you you'd have guys? to start at an earlier level. Yeah, I mean, you got to you got to what you, you got to have colleges you, do. You got to take it out of college if you're going to do it. You got to take it out of the minor leagues. Got to take it. You mean you can't bunt? You mean to get you can't get you can't teach a guy how to bunt? Yeah, that they could do. They could teach them how to bunt. Of course you can. So they'll hit 109, and then they'll connect on 60 percent of the sacrifices as opposed to 45. All yeah. right. I just I just you know I, baseball was a was was a wonderful game once upon a time, and there were. These, these strategic elements of the game and seeing guys who actually were truly skilled and could do different things, to me, was one of the beauties of the game. If you, had a, if you had a pitcher that could hit, if you had a pitcher who could move a runner, if you had a pitcher who could run, God forbid, um, if, you had a, if you had a guy who was a functioning athlete in the number nine spot, then you had an advantage. Um, and it wasn't unheard of. I mean, there were those guys, those people did exist. And the game was better for it. Uh, but among the many other things that have gone away, like asking, having infielders that can turn plays and having people run the bases and have guys move runners ahead and all the other parts that really made baseball a wonderful game to watch, a truly strategic game, are, are going away now. And now it's become a game of walk, strike out, or hit a home run. And that's why the game's terrible now. And to me, uh, to me the, the designated hitter was the first step down that slippery slope that got us to where we are today. Well, the one thing I'll say in consolation is we're probably not going to have to watch that horrible game anytime soon. No, probably not. So there you go. All right. Last time we'll have that debate. 215-592-9494. Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer is going to join us next. A fascinating story today about how the Matthew Stafford trade maybe could be a blueprint for the Eagles offseason. We'll talk to him about that, about the birds, about the Super Bowl coming up. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP.